May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what we all need to hear. Leonardo da Vinci had many interests. He was very curious about birds and how they flew. He studied their wings and he made models of helicopters and parachutes and other flying machines after he studied the bird's anatomy. The freedom of birds, he said, reminded him of his life. He said he noticed that a mother goldfinch, when her babies were in a cage, would come and would feed those babies a poisonous plant so that they would die. And he explained that the reason he did that was because death was better than to be without freedom. In the streets of Florence, da Vinci would see merchants who were selling birds in cages. And he would stop, he would pay for the bird, and then he would open the cage and release the bird. He was very passionate about freedom. I hope that as we celebrate this Independence Day weekend, that we'll all give some thought to the passion for freedom that those men and women had almost 250 years ago when they devoted their lives to creating this nation. I hope as we think of da Vinci buying those caged birds and then setting them free, that we'll also give some thought to the one who brought our freedom, who bought our freedom, I should say, by the giving of his life on the cross. Our text for the day is a perfect one for a holiday weekend when we get some time off to relax. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. That's a promise that many of us need to hear today. We're tired. We're very tired for many reasons. Some of us are tired because we work too hard. Back in the 60s, there were time management experts who predicted that the way things were going and with all the advances in technology and all the equipment, the computer equipment and all that things and how, how technology was coming along, that there would be a radical change in how many hours a week that people worked. And they predicted that the average American would probably, within the next 20 years, so by the 80s, be working about 22 hours a week. Now remember, that was back in the 60s. And they said, and this is a quote from one of those reports that said, the great challenge for our citizens will be figuring out what to do with all their spare time. Well, it's been about 60 years since that prediction was made. And I don't know about you, but I'm not really wondering what to do with my spare time that I have on my hands these days. In one of her books, Barbara Brown Taylor writes that in China, the polite answer when someone asks you, how are you, is to say, I am very busy, thank you. We're so busy, we're working on something. Some of us are tired because we work too hard. More of us are tired because we worry too much. A lot of our tiredness is mental. We've had much to worry about the last couple of years, haven't we? 
our body feels tired. Not necessarily always because we're too active physically, but because our thoughts are in high gear, we're dealing with fear, with anxiety, we're dealing with stress. And boy, have we had our share of stress. Most of us don't have jobs that put us through a lot of physical stress, but mental and emotional are another thing. And that takes place in the workplace a lot these days as well. Work and stress, or worry and stress are killers. We've come to learn that. Someone said that nobody ever collapsed because of the burdens of the day, but it was when the burdens of tomorrow are added to the cares of today that a person begins to sink. So much stress. We worry about work. We worry about family. We worry about our health. We worry about money. We worry about the future. We worry about the pandemic. Is this ever going to happen again? If it does, what are we going to do? So much to worry about. Estimates are that about 90% of Americans are under at least a moderate load of stress. And so often, we get tired. And it's often mental fatigue that gets to us. Have you ever noticed that people who have a, a great mental attitude seem to be the people who have the most energy? The people who have a negative attitude toward life seem to have a lot less energy. Tommy Lasorda, you might have heard of him. He was a longtime manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He used to tell a story from his younger days. Tommy was a manager in the minor leagues in 1971, and his team had lost the last seven games in a row. And about that time, the sports writers across the country had voted to select the greatest major league team in the history of baseball. By a vast majority, they chose the 1927 Yankees. They were defeated and they retired from their losses. And the whole team, after losing seven games in a row, they headed to the locker room after game seven. A few minutes later, Tommy walked in and he found all the players sitting around, dejected, with their heads hanging, not saying much of anything. And he looked at them and he said, hey, get your heads up. I don't ever want to see you fellows with your heads down again. Just because you lost seven games in a row does not mean that you aren't a great team. You're going to start winning. As you know, according to a recent poll, the greatest team to ever play in the major league was the Yankees in 1927. And guess what? They lost nine games in a row that year. Suddenly, the heads went up. And the expressions on their faces changed. It was a turning point. The team started winning. And by the end of the season, they were the champions. Hearing about this story a few days later, his wife said, hey, Tommy, are you sure the Yankees really lost nine games in a row that year? And he said, how would I know? I was only a year old. But it made the point. It did make the point. The team needed to believe that success was possible. The team needed to know that seven consecutive losses did not make them losers. There's something energizing about a positive belief. 
it would be good to remind ourselves from time to time that our faith is entirely is an entirely positive belief about life. That's why we call the gospel good news. We are loved. Our God has good things in store for us, along with the bad. A few years ago, an interesting experiment was conducted. A large group of people who were recruited by a research center were told to record everything that came into their brains every day for a year and a half. Their diary began each morning. Say they watched Good Morning America. They would record that, and they would record whether they saw, what they saw was positive or whether they considered it to be negative. And they evaluated everything, everything that happened to them throughout the day. And they did this for a year and a half. And after a year and a half, the results were in. 90% of the time, it was found that people received negative input. No wonder we get depressed, feel unable to cope, feel tired all the time. Did you ever watch the evening news? Garbage in, garbage out, that's what they say. Not sure which comes first, a positive attitude or lots of energy, but they go hand in hand. Maybe people with a lot of energy find it easier to think positively. I guess that makes sense if you think about it, but I think being positive and having energy complement each other. One of the first signs that a person is depressed is a lack of energy. Some people work too hard. Even more people worry too much. Many tired people simply don't get enough sleep, suffer from sleep deprivation. It might sound obvious, but let's give it some thought. Sometimes we don't get enough sleep to function at our best. Often the reason we can't sleep is why? Because we're stressed and because we're worrying about something or somebody. A man was traveling a long way by train. He really was tired. He needed to get some sleep, but he was also worried about his luggage, his suitcase. He didn't want his suitcase to get stolen while he was sleeping. And so he put the suitcase on the rack above him and he kept dozing off and waking up with his eyes always on that suitcase. Well, finally he was so tired that he dozed for a little longer than he wanted to. And when he looked up, it was gone. Somebody had stolen it. Then an interesting thing happened. He slept. He slept because he didn't have to worry about it anymore. It was done. It was gone. There's something about worry that deprives us of sleep. We just cannot relax and rest. For many people, it's a serious problem. Sleep loss is a cause of accidents sometimes, serious accidents. In the workplace, sleep loss deprives us of Productivity. We don't do as well as we could do if we were well-rested. Some of us sleep better than others. I read a true but funny story about an automobile accident. A car went airborne for about 150 feet, crashed into a house, went through the roof of a home in New Hampshire at about 3 o'clock in the morning. 
It came through the ceiling and it went right over the top of the bed of a couple who were sleeping. Didn't hit them, just went over them. The husband said, the thing was right in front of my face. I could feel the heat from the exhaust coming through the sheets. Still, that wasn't enough to wake my wife. He said he had to wake her up after the crash. Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but it could be. I've known some people that sleep that sound. Being able to sleep like that, to me, would be a gift. I'm more of a light sleeper. I wake up easily. I hope that some of you have that gift. But some of us are proud. We wake up, we hear everything. Nothing's going to get past us, especially in the parsonage where the floors are squeaky. I hear every squeak. We admire Thomas Edison, who said he could live on 15-minute naps. But did you also know that Albert Einstein slept about 11 hours every night? A family was visiting New York City. They were there for the first time. They were dazzled by all the lights and the sights and the busy crowds. And they, the father said to his 11-year-old daughter, this is the city that never sleeps. And she said, yeah, that's probably because there's a Starbucks on every corner. Some of us really are running on caffeine and ignoring the health risks or productivity costs or ignoring our overall well-being. And then we come to these words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We just need sometimes to relax, stop worrying, and trust God. That's what happens when we connect ourselves to Jesus. He helps us to carry the burdens, and I know they get heavy. Remember the Greek god Atlas and the old myth? Atlas, Atlas offended the king of the gods who was Zeus, and for punishment, Zeus made Atlas for all eternity carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. Harold Kushner wrote in his book, Who Needs God? He said, Atlas was condemned to carry the weight of the entire world on his shoulders. That was as harsh a punishment as the ancient Greek mind could conjure up. Today, it seems that we have each volunteered to play the role of Atlas. We have not offended God. We have dismissed God. We told him that we were growing up enough not to need his help anymore, and we've offered to carry the weight of the world upon our shoulders. The question is, when it gets too heavy for us, when there are questions too hard for human knowledge to answer and problems that take more time to solve than any of us have, will we be too proud to admit that we have made a mistake in wanting to carry this world alone? And will we ask God to take it back? There's a story told about a duck. A duck who was a mother and she was crazy, frantic about protecting her ducklings. She flew into a flurry whenever her human friends who had cared for her for years would approach. She sometimes became so distressed, she forgot what she was doing and she attacked her own children. That's what anxiety does to us. Philosopher Don Marquis said this, the most pleasant and useful persons are those who leave some of the problems of the universe for God to worry about.
The word worry is used 13 times in Scripture. Compare that with the word trust, which is used 126 times. Faith, which is used 270 times. Believe, which is used 226 times. And love, which is used 551 times. If you want to narrow it down even more, the 13 times that the word worry is used, 11 times we're told not to worry, and the other two said, why do you worry? And tomorrow will worry about itself. Norman Vincent Peale once put it this way, sailing to the Near East last summer, I often talked with the ship's first officer. He told me a ship riding out a storm keeps going ahead by relaxing in the waves. The ocean is a tremendous force, he said, and a ship is only a very small force, but we know how to make our powerful engines adapt themselves to the timing of the sea. We don't drive them relentlessly through the waves. Instead, we adjust our speed to the timing of the waves. So we are practically carried along by the sea. Dr. Peel said that this wonderful technique could be applied to people as well as ships. Get yourself in time with your difficulties, with your trials. Then get in harmony with God and you can ride out the storm, ride out the difficulties without so much strain. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we are going to insist on carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders, ourselves, we're going to be very tired, and we're not going to do a very good job. But let me give you some good news. There is one who loves you very much who will take your burden upon his shoulders if you will just trust them to him. I hope this holiday weekend will find you rested and refreshed, but I hope even more that you will let God rest and refresh you throughout every day of your life. Amen.